We hope you're trying to listen to this one now. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we will be discussing the John Mayer Trio's 2005 live album, Try! Exclamation point, featuring uh, John Mayer and Pino Palladino and Steve Jordan. And um, this is kind of a transitional album from what I'm gathering. It came in between John Mayer's second and third albums. And okay, I have to say this now. I can't believe we're doing the John Mayer album right after Taylor Swift started her tour. But here we are. Oh, no. Is that bad juju? When did she start? This week? This weekend, yes. <laughs> the John Mayer ripple in her pond has brought us here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was nothing about Taylor Swift on this but one. I just thought, oh, perfect timing. Just perfect timing. Uh, you know, it, it's funny that we started off talking about right in between. This is, this is a stepping stone album, right in between his second and third. And we're on the Harry's house month. And, and we're looking at ways that these different collaborators, you know, just all come into this sense of this Harry's house. And this, this is right where John Mayer was about to hit his big old jump from heavier things to continuum. And I don't think I'm reaching by saying that it is almost where Harry Styles is. In terms of a change. stylistic change. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. I was getting caught up yeah. on that. But yeah. Musically, it doesn't really sound like a, too no. much with maybe a couple exceptions i think they're very different genres but yeah m- most definitely but finding themselves I, I mean even if you just look at the age at these guys at this point mayor when he was doing this was 28 styles when he did harry's house was 29 well then 28 you, he just 20, turned 29 even better even better and then you got pino paladino and steve jordan who were 20 years the senior to mayor when they recorded as the trio and then we look at mayor being 20 years the senior to to our boy harry in in that aspect as well it's neat to see these generations of artists work together the more i dive or we dive into these these sounds it's crazy it is it is i i have to say i was actually doing research for this i'm kind of surprised john mayer's no disrespect. I'm surprised he's still as popular as he is because I didn't think he'd had a hit in uh, quite some time, but I guess that's not what he's going for. But uh, he's on tour right now and it sounds like it's been doing big business. So, Yeah, man. Well, I don't, I don't know if we talked about it on or off the air, but so he's going to be coming off the Dead & Company. That's their final tour this summer too. So for him touring on the side of that, I mean, he's it's a in, solo he's... acoustic tour right now. Ooh, I wonder if he's going to do some Jerry stuff on that tour. Who is that? You think that's what we will get at Ocean's Calling? Is a I uh, have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. That's interesting. That's interesting. He's in the limelight right now. Yeah, he's on tour right as we speak. So, yeah, I think he's playing the show today. Actually, maybe somewhere. So. That's that's wild. Yeah, but I didn't know he was still like an arena level act, frankly, but he is. Yeah, man, he's up there. I mean, even talking about the trio, you look at the arena level acts that these guys had played with before sitting back with a young John Mayer. It's mind blowing. I mean, between Paladino playing with The Who and uh, Simon and Garfunkel and Elton John, David Crosby, the list goes on for both. I did those because they were Harry Styles inspirations that I thought came full circle. Uh, you know, seeing Paladino play with those people and, and seeing Harry Styles cite those. But I mean, and then you look at Steve Jordan's accomplishments. I mean, you go all the way back to the Blues Brothers Saturday Night Live and then all the way throughout playing with the Stones. I mean, in that tour in 2021, I believe, or 20, yeah, yeah, replacing 2021. Charlie Watts. Yeah, man. I mean, that's tough and, shoes and to fill. Most definitely, but there's another one that ties back to Harry and the uh, and the the Stone slash Jagger yeah. inspiration too. Yeah, lot there's of, a lot, lot here. Connections. Yeah, there's lot definitely here. Is. But I, I'd never heard of this album before we did it. Um, but I know it came out in 2005. It was recorded and released that year. So 28 year old John Mayer. Um, It was before a lot of things for John Mayer, but uh, this is kind of the beginning of his blues era, from what I'm understanding. Yeah, his blues era, he was he was jamming a lot. 
um, with different artists, really finding himself and evolving uh, into what we'd see on Continuum, but also out there and playing at Crossroads Festival with Clapton and and all those guys, you know, BB, Buddy Guy, just really getting out there and playing with all these these creators, all these artists. It's it's a wild time for John Mayer at this point and not acting like it's a little album that nobody's ever heard of. But I, whenever I introduce this album to people, I'm going to say nine out of 10 times they've never heard it, even if they're they're somewhat big time John Mayer fans. They'll say, oh, I never heard this before. And I got a chance to see these guys live together in 2008 at a great iteration of a festival that is in a, talk about evolving, a festival that has evolved into what we all know as Electric Forest now used to be called Rothbury. And I got a chance to see these cats in in a very intimate setting in the middle of the day in front of a a little forest. It was a wild, (laughs) it's surreal. I can't even describe how intimate it was, but it was, uh, it was a cool scene, man. It was a cool scene. They do a hell of a live show. I I believe that. Um, but I'm guessing, so I'm guessing, did you like buy this album release day or something? Were you hyped for this when it came out or? Uh, You know what? This is another one that found its way into the collection. And I don't remember how. Back then, we were all playing a lot more. I was playing music with my little brother a lot more back then. I was in the the height of, of playing myself, playing with different musicians and different groups and just different cats all over the place. So this one was shared. My brother was a huge John Mayer fan. And in fact, my wife, who was oh, just becoming my girlfriend at this point in my life, was a John Mayer fan, too. Um, and we found common ground um, getting a chance to see this was actually the first concert that we saw together was Rothbury uh that festival so wow. um, yeah man all types all types of tea on this one I didn't even realize yeah. until we just started talking about it who, who knew but so were you a mayor fan from the beginning or now I know because I was a younger guy in high school and he was super popping it up on his first two albums you know it was a love to hate i i could hear that he was a musician and i knew he had some chops i was more of a fan at the risk of sounding terrible i i'm going into my young high school and the high school sense of, of a young man but i was more of a fan of his sexual conquests so to speak i was in fact this man was running all around and doing his things you know so as much as i like to hate on his poppiness as a young guy and uh you know the the pop music as we did back then uh i i knew of him i didn't know he had chops like this until right around this album was released when we all started seeing him do crossroads and talk about him playing Uh, a lot of people used to say that he was a little or actually i saw it i think it was rolling stones but I, i'm paraphrasing but he's been called like a mini stevie ray and he was back then he wasn't respected right away in in that in that listening click i won't say the artists the artists brought him on they knew he had talent but it took a minute back then it felt like for people to really respect him and i was one of those people yeah, because it seems like even today, still, the first song people think of is Your Body is a Wonderland. And he's clearly changed since those early days. And again, I, I don't feel like I'm reaching or I wouldn't be saying this stuff. But in my opinion, another connection or another just way he reminds me or of Harry Styles or Harry Styles at this point in his career is... John Mayer did the teeny bopper pop thing. Made not as money. overtly as not One as Direction. Overtly. But... No, no, not as overtly, but made his money. I'll do the air quotes for everybody. Paid his due, so to speak, but really found his footing inside of the machine and busted out and did his own thing. And this is when it happened. This is when he finally, in my opinion, was like, all right, I'm going to move on and show the world who John Mayer really is. Or who he has become at this point. And as a new Harry Styles fan, everybody who's been listening, if you haven't been listening, I'm a new Harry Styles fan. I love to see this evolution of Harry so far. And I can't wait to see something like this would come out of it. Or just the way he moves on. They remind me of, of each other in that aspect. 
I can see that. I definitely don't think Harry has these uh, guitar chops at all, but. <laughs> no, but put John, do a trio or, no, you know, this is just fantasy stuff, but all right, pick up John Mayer, pick up, it's too easy to say Pino Paladino, but just pick up some wild players that are out there and go blow everybody's mind. Why not? It's the time, man. Yeah, wh- whatever. It is he will do next. We are waiting to see. That's all I can really say about that. I think everybody's anticipating it heavily, but it still hasn't even been a year since Harry's house has been released. Yeah, that's true. So, and the tour's still going. It's just, who knows? I don't know if he'll take a break or get right back to work on the next one. Who knows? Well, yeah, I'm, and there's another mirror there. It's like, who knows where life will take you, period. I mean, John Mayer was playing a charity function. He was booked up, you know, Steve Jordan set for him and then they lose their bass player who was set for it. And Steve Jordan's like, hey, man, Paladino and Paladino, from what I read, was the one that Steve Jordan called and was like, let's do this. And he was like, all right, you know what? I've heard some of his stuff and I've heard some rumblings. I'll come in and play. And then next thing you know, life's put these three cats together and they start making beautiful music. They vibed right off the get from what I understand. That, that is what it sounds like. And as I said, um, album released in November of 05 after it was recorded in September of that year. And it didn't get the push of a studio album. So it didn't sell as well as Mayer's two studio albums up to that point, which are both multi-platinum at this point. But uh, this album managed to chart at 34 on the Billboard 200 and went gold in the US. So not bad for something that really didn't get the promotional push of the studio albums and that the follow-up album continuum would but it's you know kind of I guess a little nugget in the John Mayer discography I guess you could say speaking of that timeline though I searched and searched because I I here's one for the viewers or the listeners I love to find stuff that Charlie doesn't find but <laughs> his knowledge is is something that I look forward to. So this one, Charlie, it got nominated for Best Rock Album, but not until the 49th Annual Grammy Awards, which was in 2008, I believe. Or no, 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 seven. 2007. How does that happen? It's an eligibility thing. I believe that um, the Grammy eligibility, it's like the year goes from like October to October or something like that. So... It's it's what happens every year. Like, for instance, this past Grammys, Adele's 30 was nominated for Album of the Year. It came out in November 2021. Okay, okay. And this year, for what we'll see next is Midnight's was released in October 2022. It wasn't eligible for last year. It'll be eligible this coming year. You know, that didn't even dawn on me when we were talking about albums for this year. Wow, okay. Oof. So it's pretty, it's a bit of a different thing, but it's always been like that from my understanding for the Grammys. Cool, cool, yeah. Just because it was that late point in the year after the eligibility, it means you're in for the next year. There you go. There you go. Learn learn a little something new every day. All right, yeah. And uh, this one, definitely a bit different for me. Not one, I I went into this very blind. I haven't gone into one this blind, I don't think since Radiohead even, but... Okay. All right. Fortunately, I liked it better than Radiohead, but that's a low bar for me. <laughs> I can see you connecting a little bit more to this than Radiohead. Uh, yeah, um, there's I'll connect to just about anything more than Radiohead. You know, and I'll say I'll say it again. I don't know if I said it on air last uh, episode or not, but listening to this back in the day, it didn't register as a live album to me. So when I brought it up for us to do, that wasn't even a thought in my head. Um, but it, it was cool to really listen to it as a live album. As crazy as that sounds, I just don't remember these tracks as live tracks. I remember jamming on them and digging them, but I don't. Again, it didn't register as a live album to me back then. Yeah, I think that's a blessing and the curse. I'll say that. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, but uh, yeah, with that being said, I'm kind of ready to dive into this one. Let's get at it. Let's do it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So um, the album begins with uh, a Mayer original. A lot of these are new songs at the time. Uh, There's a few couple covers, a couple previous ones, but for the most part, this is new material. And um, our opener is Who Did I Think I Was? And uh, definitely a blues rock song, full on blues rock. Um, I feel like it's kind of a statement about him being pigeonholed is definitely the impression I get because before he was known as the acoustic white guy with guitar which is a blessing or a curse as well people love you or hate you if you're that and um he's saying like yeah who did you think I was but he even mentions the blues in this song like this is who I am and um yeah naturally this was the one single from the album and it didn't get a huge huge push it only made it the 92 on the hot 100 but again they weren't pushing it and the follow-up album actually came out not even a whole year after this and that lead single was very popular so this just didn't get a push and I mean it's a live track it was probably only going to do so much circa 2005, 2006, I think the heyday of live hits on the radio has long passed us by this point. Um, I, I think this is kind of just an intro for me. I think it's not a substantial enough song to serve as anything more than an intro, but as an intro to this new sound, I think it works. Yeah, really just as a statement piece, like you said, this is him I mean, straight from the title, you know, who'd you think I was? But it's a great opener with great energy. We get our first taste of really everyone musically, but we really get a good taste of Mare shredding. And we get to see the next evolution of Mare coming right out of this first track before Continuum. Um, Again, you said it, it's short and sweet, but this one packs a huge punch and you're right. It's not, it doesn't feel like a full big old piece, but it does what it sets out to achieve in my opinion. And that is pick the energy up and give a little bit of a statement of who they are and who John Mayer is. All right, then that's uh, what we have for who did you think I was. And uh, with that, we're going to go on to another original tune. This one written by the entire trio. Good Love is on the Way. This is a song about just moving on from a previous relationship and one of the more optimistic tunes because, you know, he knows good love is on the way. And um, yeah, I feel like it kind of continues the sound of the previous song, but I think it's more of a full-on structured song, which I appreciate. I think it just has a bit more room to breathe, which I appreciate. So um. Yeah, I liked this one. I think it was a good second track. Yeah, it's a really powerful number two. This is one of, I won't say how many, but this is one of the tracks on this album that I wish would have made its way to a Mare album somewhere down the line. I love this song. I love the way this song is structured. I mean, even with Steve Jordan producing Continuum, you know, those writing credits could have easily been popped in down the line. Uh, it's just a such a powerful Mayer-esque example of him as an artist for me. And it really shows the knowledge and ultimate talent of everybody shared in this composition. I super, super love that triplet run that we first see at 209, that boobity, 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 boom, boom, boom. It's repeated twice throughout the track. I really love that. I think it's a perfect example of what I was just talking about, all of them together, that ultimate knowledge in composing. Yeah, a really strong number two. I love this song. Good, good. I can't speak as to whether or not it should have been on Continuum because I don't know the whole album. So I'm not the one to judge that. I wouldn't put this up there with some of the songs that I do know off of it, which we'll get into later on here, but we're not there yet. Um, Actually, first, before all that, we get our first cover, Wait Until Tomorrow, which is a Jimi Hendrix cover, which um 
definitely a chance for Mayer to show up the guitar chops if you're going to do Hendrix, often called the best guitarist of all time. What I find interesting about this cover is I think this song is much more funky than it is bluesy. And um, that's something that we definitely heard on Harry's House on the two tracks Mayer played guitar for. Those were definitely the funkier songs on that album. They definitely weren't going for the blues there. But um, I like this cover. I think it's well done. And I do think that it brings some lightness into the proceedings because the blues are a heavy sound, um, regardless of what you're doing with it. It's a heavy sound. Even if you're just singing about sex, it's heavy. <laughs> That's just kind of how the blues are. So I think it's good to have something lighter here and I can just tell they're having a good time playing this song and that really comes through for me and I think that's a really good thing and something that we needed here yeah I agree it matches the energy perfectly of the original but they put their spin on it and you really can hear them having fun for me the star of this cover for me is Steve Jordan because the way that he navigates the Mitch Mitchell drum sound is incredible. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Mitch Mitchell was the drummer for uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience, one of the most innovative drummers I've ever heard in my life. And to hear Steve Jordan just crush and tear, I have goosebumps talking about this right now, just crush and tear through this is just, that. that's the hero for me. I mean, the other two have their ways with this song, don't get me wrong, and Mare crushes in solo. And really, he captures, I love it on this one because he captures a lot of the Jimmy sound in there, but it's still Mare, you know what I'm saying? Like it, he, he does a really good job of keeping it just truthful enough to the cover. And I love that. But for me, it's Steve Jordan all the way on this one, man. Great cover, wait until tomorrow. Yeah, and they actually, I saw, did it at Love Rocks at their previous performance this year. They did it at Love Rocks, this song. I saw them cover this and, or in the set list in 2008, they, they played this and another Jimmy cover that I'll talk about later. Okay, wow. I guess Hendrix is a natural point for them to go to, which is understandable. It's a natural point for many. But the next song is not a cover. It is a original song that did end up on the next album. It is called Gravity. This is one of Mayer's signature songs, a pretty well-known song by him that most people, even if they're not huge John Mayer fans, they might very well know this song. Um, yeah, it's a really beautifully written song about inner struggle. And um, the thing that sticks out to me the most about this song is it's crazy to me to think that this was a brand new song when he did it. Because <laughs> when he's doing it, it sounds to me like this was released before Continuum, which was this album that featured the studio version of the song. It sounds like he's playing one of his classic hits already that the people are waiting to hear. And it's a brand new song. And that's just so mind blowing. And you can hear the crowds eating it up, even though it's a new song which is just crazy. I think this is one of those moments where he knew he wrote a classic for him and just owned it. And uh, I just think this is a really strong rendition. I think the playing is beautiful and really captures the feeling of the lyrics. And uh, this is definitely the most moving song on the album for me. I don't think anything else here packs the emotional wallop of this one. What a great way to talk about this song and that is that he already had a classic hit of his on his hands and if you're standing in the house of blues this is a little soft catch your breath number right at first you know as far as standing in the crowd the feeling you get because one you don't know it you're trying to search to figure out if it's another cover and then you just get rocked with this song that you said it man it sounds like he's been playing this song for a million years by now for me this one's just a tad bit slower than the album would eventually be, but stripped down and live is the way I love this song. I love the playful blues soloing in this. Uh, in fact, I, this is the first time in this album that we hear, and we'll see it again throughout, but we hear this beautiful mimic or this call and response soloing here. And I really love that sound from him. And so we hear it on gravity first, but this one, man, it gets you. It does. It's a moving song. And it's such a great way to experience it 
as as a live version before you even hear it out there but yeah ultimate classic ultimate classic definitely and he better do this when we see him at ocean's calling i got a feeling you'll see we'll see gravity um <laughs> yeah you know and and going back to you know, that that heaviness of of his writing at this point we really see a lot of introspective and a lot of truthfulness of who he is as an artist inside of the public eye in just a little tiny bit we get to see here on this album really starts to let us know that it's not that he's struggling with it, but he feels it. And, and, and he's really good at telling that story and letting us know. And that reminded me of Harry on this one, as far as him being really honest throughout that Harry's House album. And, and I really enjoyed that. Well, what's mind blowing to me is this is so honest, yet it's before some of John Mayer's biggest relationship fuck-ups. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, that man's messed up in love. But, that's an yeah. understatement. <laughs> it's an he, understatement. He, he has indeed, but this shows you that he was always thinking about it. It's just the way uh, life goes sometimes. <laughs> As a big grunt comes across, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I love my my Johnny boys. I know you do, but should have maybe fought before he acted in some of these situations. Hey, I'm hey, gonna hey. say that right now. I can relate to that as a man and as a person and as a lover of John Mayer. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> I mean, I can't relate to that extent as an adult no, man. I'm not, no, I'm not saying in the, the example of it, okay. but in the feeling of, of acting before we think, most definitely. Yeah, but um, people can grow and change, so I'm not going to hold it too far against him because we have to be fair here. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Um, but our next song, back to the music, our next song is another song that ended up being on Continuum. This one is Vultures, great title. Um, this one was written by the whole trio as well, and it's about facing your doubters, or now they'd say your haters. At this time, you didn't say your haters, but... Now you'd say you're haters. Um, but I think that's a good metaphor to use for it, vultures, because they just want a piece of you, you know? I think that's good. Uh, I do think we're, because we're on the trail of gravity, this doesn't stack quite up to that bar because it's such a tough act to follow. But I still think it's good. Um, I definitely don't think it's very bluesy. And if we're going to stick to that blues concept, which I think is his point here, I don't think this hits that mark, even though it's a fine song. I don't think it hits the blues mark. No, and this one always reminded me more of a Bonnie Raitt riff or like a Clapton riff in that sense but this is where and i tried my darndest to find the actual set list from that night at the house of blues but this is where i start to question if this was a legitimate set list because i think that you're correct in saying that it doesn't hit as hard as it should or as hard as it could behind gravity and i don't think that on stage this is the place for it the album or stage so it's it's a weird choice for me in hindsight it's even weirder because it looks like the continuum stuff is grouped and later on we have another grouping as well so yes i i'm, I'm with you on that it loses a little bit of its oomph here but you know we get another introspective piece um this is a continuum thought you know a thought that's going on to continuum so it's another look inside of what he's going through and if anything it speaks to that truthfulness inside of himself and his music absolutely absolutely and uh live albums have been edited and pieced together in the best even the dance had its set list rearranged a bit i don't think it was as oddly placed as it is here but even that did, and uh, just goes to show you what they'll do. And um, I'm guessing they knew these songs would be on the next album. That's why they placed them together, even if it doesn't really make sense as part of a set list. Yeah. Which is kind of what takes me out of this feeling as much of a live album as it should. So... No, no I'm totally with you. And I tried not to do a hard retrospective on it, but... I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You look back and you're like, man, was that record company grouping right there? Because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was played like that. But for me, 
Sorry, John Boy. It, it very well may have been record company grouping. We we don't know for sure though. We don't. But uh, he does say we're going back to the blues. They're taking it back to the home of the blues for our next song, which is "Out of My Mind," which is not a cover, an original tune. It kind of made it sound like it would be a cover, even though that's not what we got. Um. This is our longest song on the album. It's over seven and a half minutes long. A lot of it's a jam and very simple lyrically, like most blues is. It's really about conveying the feeling rather than having poetic songwriting. That's not what he's going for here. It's just a very simple breakup tune. Um, I like his vocal a lot here. I can tell he's having a really good time playing this. Uh, this is definitely one of those things. I will say, and it's credit, this doesn't feel as long as it actually is. However, I do feel that these kind of jams sometimes are a lot more fun when you're experiencing them in person rather than listening to them on this album setting. And some of that's me. When I, for me, my essential blues rock, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but my favorite blues rock is early Aerosmith. And that's short, sweet, and to the point. This isn't quite that, but I mean, it's a different thing he's doing here. And so I don't dislike it, but it's not one I'm always clamoring to go back to. I think it would be more fun in the actual concert than listening to it on the album. Wholeheartedly agree with you there. I mean, this is the long blues jam of the concert and the album, but the first time listening, and when I was young and I was trying to mimic his chops or learn his chops it was great to listen to before i get off onto a tangent this is the height for me of the call and response soloing that he does on this album that i love so much um, where he calls and responds with his own vocals and the guitar riff i love that but again i go back to the listening of it once you've heard this once it drags a little bit if, especially if you're just listening to the album like we are to go over it in a critical sense, it loses that luster without standing in front of this happening. Totally with you there. Okay, good. Glad, glad we agree on that. But uh, uh, the next song isn't quite as long. We're a bit more to the point with track number seven, which is Another Kind of Green, which I would describe as a cynical love song. Um yeah, this is uh, the gun to the head least favorite for me. I just think it's a filler tune, actually. I can definitely see why he didn't include this on an album. I, I think it has some nice lyrics in there. It's it's all right, but it's just uh, kind of falls flat in the, just overall for me. I think it's a filler song. Ooh, I wasn't expecting the other side of the coin here. I'm totally on the opposite side of the coin. In fact, I talked about it earlier this is the second song that i wish this would end up on a john mayer album somewhere man i love this tune i love the way he uses the the grass is always greener on the other side saying inside of, of relaying this story for me this is a really neat blend of the blues that we're hearing so much on this album and the softer mare sound that we know from him and, and that we love from him. It's also another one where I get some real Hendrix vibes from inside of it, from him and Steve Jordan. And that might be, now that is uh, another reason that it speaks to my subconscious listener, but I really love this song. I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that, but Hey man, you know, we can't, we can't agree on all of them. No. <laughs> Just like we didn't agree on cinema, we don't agree on another kind of green. <laughs> just, just like that. But uh was that the seven track on Harry's house too? That, that was number eight. Oh darn. <laughs> so but now we're on to this album's track number eight, which is another cover, I Got a Woman. This was a Ray Charles song, and uh actually a pretty smart cover for this time because the Ray Charles original was sampled in the number one song in the country at the time, which was Gold Digger by Kanye West featuring Jamie Foxx doing a Ray Charles impression. Because, you know, he was Ray Charles, in case you didn't know. It was kind of big news at the time. I never saw the movie. I wasn't allowed to because I was a kid. You've never seen Ray? No, because a lot of movies when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to see. I just kind of forgot about, but I still haven't seen it. 
you got to see that. I, right, I, I, I think we, I do. We could talk about that for hours, but you need to see that movie. <laughs> I, I will get on it as soon as I can. Uh, but um, anyway, <laughs> Jamie Foxx is not the one singing it here. It's John Mayer. And um, again, this is another extended jam that it sounds like ends the main set and where he introduces his trio. Uh, again, I think this is another fun cover and a more bluesy cover than Wait Until Tomorrow. So I think it is fitting in that regard. Again, another song I think would have been more fun to hear in person rather than listening to it on this album. I just kind of wish this album, I don't know, was a bit had a bit more of that live music feeling like the dance did. I just don't think it gets to that point in the way that some of the other really iconic live albums you think of, like not just the dance, but also Kisses Alive. It really gives you that feeling. This just doesn't quite get there for me most of the time, unfortunately, but I still enjoy this all right. Yeah, it's a guilty pleasure track. And you said it that the reason we got it is because of what was going on with the Kanye track at the time. And it was in front of everybody. Um, it's a well done cover, but you're right. And maybe that's another bit of the reason I don't remember this as a live album because it really just doesn't hit as far as pacing and as far as the feel of it. I go back to what I was saying before. I've, I got to see them. I saw him do this, but I got to see him do Axis Boldest Love as well. And I that I feel like that would have fit so much better right here on this album. The only reason I think we didn't get it here is because we needed a little, as far as the pacing of this album, which I still, I know we don't know, but I, I can't believe it's the pacing of this set. But if, if Boldest Love would have hit here, it would have been another slower jam and we never really would have picked up out of it so i think this is our last bit of or one of our last bits of energy um as we go through this set yeah it's just a guilty pleasure one he does they do a great job uh you know john john hit some wild notes and he you can hear he's having fun with it but it's this one's filler for me this is like all right cool that that is fair but it's the end of our main set but everybody's shouting encore another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And they come back out and uh, we start off with a song that people knew already, actually, from the previous album, Heavier Things. This one is called Something's Missing, not a single off of it, but the crowd is pretty thrilled to hear it because it's a song that they know. And um, it's basically Something's Missing, he has it all, it seems, but Something's Missing. Um... I don't know the studio version of this song, so I can't compare it to that. In this live version, I think there's some good lyrics in this song. I do think it just overstays its welcome a bit. I think it just kind of meanders towards the finish line. So I don't know if the album version significantly shorter or not. Or if it even sounds that much like this. But um, yeah, it was okay for me. This one's all right for me. You know, here we go. Back to a cover uh, later in, in the set list for, for what we are led to believe that, that takes us back to Heavier Things. It's third track on, on the Heavier Things album. It's a great track, whether it's back on Heavier Things or here. But there's so much sound on this track on its original recording that it's really mind-blowing to me how much of that sound is achieved by these three men live here in fact i implore you and anyone who has never heard the or or has heard these tracks to put them side by side and see how much of that studio sound they achieved here which which is 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 really again i'll say it mind-blowing there's a a mere quote out there somewhere inside of the recording of this and i'm paraphrasing but he went on to say something along the lines of 
you're almost trained as an artist inside of, of this machine to think that you need 20 people to record an album when really you just need a few people and see if it really makes you feel something. And this is a perfect example of that for me because you got a tried and true song that you know works, but just these three guys blew it out of the water. I, I enjoyed this one. I enjoy, I enjoy this version just a tad better than I do the album version. But again, mind-blowing how much sound they got out of just the three of them on this. I, I would have to agree with you on that one. I didn't quite think of it that way, but that's a good point to make. But uh, I will say the next one is a quite a reinvention from the Heavier Things album, intentionally so. Our penultimate track is Daughters, which is one of John Mayer's biggest hits. The biggest hit off of Heavier Things, as a matter of fact. And it was actually the first song that he ever performed with the trio. They performed it together at the 2005 Grammys, where Mayer actually won Song of the Year for Daughters. So with all of that, I think there was an obligation, especially if this was being recorded, well, you have to do this song. It's your most recent Grammy-winning hit. So he wasn't going to get out of doing this song, even though I'm not under the impression he's that big of a fan of it because he didn't even want it to be a single. But a lot of people really liked it. I mean, lyrically, this is a really astute song, actually. And that's part of why I think it caught on so well. It's about how fathers should be there for their daughters. and. Clearly, it's probably inspired by a not-famous ex of his because he hadn't gotten to all the famous ladies quite yet at this point. But he's given different stories as to it, but that's kind of where it all seems to go, is it's about an ex of his who didn't have a good relationship with her father, and it messed up her romantic relationship with John Mayer and very possibly other men as well. Um... This is a reinvention. The original is very acoustic. This is much more blues-based. And I think that's smart if you want to make it more representative of the new sound. And uh, the crowd doesn't seem to mind that sounds different. They're still singing the song. They're still really into it, which I think is key. It seems like he took what made the song work and adapted it to this style that he wanted it to. I don't think this performance itself is quite as strong as the higher points here, like Gravity or Out of My Mind. And I think it's because he doesn't like the song quite as much. A part of it feels phoned in. He does a very good job phoning it in vocally, but a little bit, I feel disconnected. I'm thinking it's probably, I'm sick of this song and I have to do it because I'm obligated to. Yeah, even at the very littlest bit as an evolution of this song, you can still feel that there's something in there that he would love to change. Whether it be his emotional state when he wrote it and he's just looking for a way to get out of that, or whether it just be the composition itself looking to find a different sound for it. I enjoy the blues with this song. I think it fits, and I'm going to steal your word here, with the astuteness of these lyrics because you are 120 million percent with me on the reason that this is such a hit for him because in no way has it ever been even in this iteration one of his most musically challenging songs but it's one of his most moving lyrical songs in my opinion that he's ever done uh it is a very very astute very smart way of showing like fathers take care of your daughters because they become lovers and then mothers and this cycle begins with you Whew, i'm almost tearing up talking <laughs> about that uh because it just rings true all the way through who i need a quick second there but but that's that's what that's what he did with this and that's why it's such a big hit yeah and I had to say, thinking of this in connection to Harry's house, I definitely feel like this song influenced um, Boyfriends off of that album. I thought the same thing when I was going through this. <laughs> Couldn't help but think of that, but good place to take inspiration from. Most good definitely. place to take inspiration from. And that brings us to the end of the album. We end with the title track, Try! Exclamation point. Um... A more upbeat closer. This one's just all about the groove. It's cool they ended on a more upbeat note, but I think this is just the jam rather than the song. And 
this is another one of those situations where sometimes when you end after like that big showstopper that it's a showstopper just because it's a hit it feels a tad bit anticlimactic i do think daughters is a bit too mellow to be an encore song don't get me wrong but this still feels a little like that was a bit of an odd closer like they're having fun doing it i'll give them that but the song itself is pretty slight and it's like well we just came out of the big hit here and so it kind of just ends the album on a bit of a strange note for me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Even though this sings as a grouping of everybody together, jamming out together, it really harkens back to some of the sounds that I, in my opinion, come from the older guys in this trio coming through an, an older, an older rock slash funk sound here it just doesn't hit right at the end i tell you the god's honest truth i did not remember this on the album and i used to go through this album um i had to look and make sure it wasn't added through the years in some different edition or whatnot but that's how much of the impact that it didn't make i don't even remember trying to learn this or practice it and it's fun it's cool and you can de i mean we know this is the final track of the whole night because he says goodbye for like 45 seconds on the track but it just doesn't hit and you're right it's very anticlimactic for an ending note on this live album yes glad we agree on that and that brings us to the end of this the second live album that we've covered here on turntables and tea um this was your pick i'm curious what you grade this album today so going back and listening to this album, I have to say I was not very pleasantly surprised in a lot of different places. Uh, the, the musicianship on this album, and I'll never take it away, is top notch. The trio really shines on tracks like Who Did You Think I Was and Good Love Is On The Way. Of course, Mayer's guitar playing is super smooth, and it's really showcased with this perfect rhythm set. I mean, you couldn't pick a better rhythm section of Steve Jordan and Pino Palladino. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful foundation. And while I, I still did enjoy the majority of the album, I just, this time going back through, I found that there were a lot of sections, especially in the latter part of the album, that really fall flat, especially for a live album. All in all, for being the creative stepping stones for the forthcoming quantum leap from heavier things to continuum, this album, for me, while it shows the importance of finding your sound and being truthful to yourself and finding your way towards new music, I just feel it falls a little flat as a live album um so critically my sorry johnny boy i gotta give this one a b i'm gonna go a bit below you b minus for me for a lot of the same reasons i'm not as much of a mayor fan as you it just for me as a live album specifically i just don't think it's sequenced well enough to be an effective live album there are just parts that kind of drag for me and no taking away from the musicianship of these gentlemen but just I don't know some of these choices of even some of these song choices I think could have been better frankly I don't know what their whole set was but I feel like they just could have I don't know done something a bit different with it this just in some ways it feels a little slapdash I hate to say it yeah and now I mean now hopefully it makes a little bit of sense you know, as crazy as I am, I, this is why I believe I don't remember this as a live album, because it sure as heck didn't hit like a live album. No, it doesn't. And for me, that's part of the problem if I'm expecting to go in hearing a live album. So, Most of. I mean, there you have it, though. We've got the John Mayer trio and Try, but uh, still an important stepping stone for all of these gentlemen. Most definitely. What was your favorite track on the album? Gravity. Dig it, dig it. For me, it's got to be Good Love is on the way. Okay, nothing wrong with those, but that is the end of our John Mayer, and uh, we're now about to do our final episode of this month, and uh, it was based on two polls. As I said, uh, you all decided that the Harry Styles influence that we should cover next out of what we gave you would be none other than David Bowie. A good choice. And we had the poll options. We gave you four of his classic albums to choose from. We had Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, Young Americans, 
and Let's Dance. And after it being on Twitter, Instagram, and our Spotify page for the last episode, we do have a winner, and it is Young Americans. Ooh, I didn't know going into this what we got. So, all right, Young Americans. Um, I actually... Um, after looking a bit into it all, I actually think it parallels pretty nicely with Harry's house, actually. And I don't know if we spoke about this on the podcast, but didn't you say that Young Americans was the one you had the least experience with as far as Bowie? No, I no? wouldn't okay. say that. Um, heard, heard. Bowie is one for me where I would say I like him, but I've never done a deep discography dive of his. I like the CD. I have the best of Bowie CD. And I have the Let's Dance CD that my dad gave me his copy of. But other than that, I don't have any of his albums. And I just, even when he died, I didn't do a real deep discography dive like I did with Prince when he died, for an example. I just, I don't know, I just didn't do it. It was uh, nothing against him, of course. I think he's a very important, influential artist. And that's been said many, many times. But yeah, I'm just not that familiar with all the deep tracks of his discography, but I do really enjoy the singles from this album, and based on what I've read about it, I do think it lines up nicely with Harry's House, because once again, David Bowie was 28 when he released Young Americans. Nice! Wow! Look at that! I love it! I think that, and for some musical reasons as well, I think it actually is going to line up quite nicely for us, and... uh, I'm looking forward to taking on David Bowie. It's a tall order, one of the most acclaimed artists ever, but we're we're ready to do it. And there's even some connections for this album to my beloved Cher. So that'll be fun for me to talk about as well. So I'm very excited to take on Young Americans, even though I did try to sway it in the direction of Let's Dance, but I failed. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. I failed. I'll tell you you what, though, I was shaking in my boots because I live off of Ziggy Stardust. I listen to that album once a day, and as much as I would love to share my opinions and deep dives and tea with you and all of our listeners on that one, I was a little worried because I wanted to do another one for, for this for the Harry's house run. So there you go, guys. Thank you for that one. Young yeah. American's going to be a fun one to go through. And yeah, we'll and do Ziggy Stardust down the line somewhere. But I, I could definitely see us doing Ziggy Stardust down the line for sure, particularly for a concept month we might do in the future, but we are not there yet. So in the meantime, yes, we will be just wrapping up our Harry's house month. And uh, we've really enjoyed doing this month. We do have another similar album themed month coming up down the line not immediately but we'll announce that all on the next episode in the meantime please follow us on facebook and instagram at turntables and t podcast on twitter at turntables t and of course subscribe wherever you're listening to us where whether it be spotify apple podcasts or any of that good stuff and i also I don't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode, but I did record a guest spot on another podcast this past weekend called the Iconic Dollcast, hosted by a really cool dude named Sage, uh, who is a doll collector and who even makes dolls. It's pretty impressive stuff. And um, I got to talk about Cher and her doll and just some Cher in general. And it was fun for me because I haven't really gotten to talk about her too much in a while so it's always good to go back to that every once in a while i think but definitely stay tuned for that we will be posting that on our social media accounts so be sure to listen to that because it was a really fun discussion to have and i think you'll all really enjoy listening to it so in the meantime we just gotta keep track of those young americans and we'll see you next time peace